Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, and today I have Allison Helena on the show with me. And Allison Helena is an Orthodox Christian. She is a wife of 20 years and femininity mentor who specializes in feminine communication and Christ-centered polarity. She supports her clients, both married and single, in multiple areas, including cultivating and restoring God-given radiance and feminine wisdom, deconditioning from unhealthy messaging and patterns that keep women stuck in their lives and relationships, and releasing judgment and the urge to control circumstances and others, and so many other ways that you can check out in the show notes. And I love this conversation with Allison. We weave and thread into multiple areas and as a new Christian, I, or not new, I was when I was younger, a returning Christian, we'll call it. I find so much wisdom and hope and faith in these conversations. And, you know, when we explore controversial topics we'll say we can bring things into awareness and then we can shift that and I just feel such a shift happening on the planet and it just fills me with so much joy and love and you really receive that from Allison in this conversation and so if this episode resonates for you please like share tag me in social media, Lisa underscore underscore Hillier, H-I-L-L-Y-E-R on Instagram. Write a comment on Spotify, a review on iTunes. It all helps so much to get these conversations out, to get this podcast that is free out to more people, which benefits so many and you as well, I'm hoping. And as well, I have recently released my tallow products bison beauty beef babe and tallow soap it's all so nutrient dense tallow is so bioavailable for our body for our skin our skin just drinks it up and it is so delicious for our skin so definitely check that out and as well i have some councils coming up the link will be in the show notes as well i've got a cosmic love council as well as the Crohn's Council. And these are non-hierarchical groups of women coming together and exploring ideas and yeah, healing from one another in a really beautiful way. Uh, I love them so much. So definitely check those out in the show notes. And now let's dive in with Allison. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Allison. I'm excited to have you on here. And so to start, we're going to start with the big question of what's been the journey that has brought you to the work that you're offering the world today. Well, Lisa, first of all, thank you so much. I feel so honored to be your guest. I've browsed your recent guest list of people that you've interviewed, and it's just so sweet of you to invite me. I'm so happy to be here to talk about my favorite topics today. And um, so yeah, I'll just jump right into a quick, like, I don't want to take up the whole time talking about my story, but in a nutshell, I was in the new age for 30 years and I tried everything, you know, I'm including going to India, you know, all the typical things. I thought I was a goddess and 
I was seeking enlightenment and peace and spiritual power and all the things. I would go to ayahuasca ceremonies and believe that I had the entire universe of information downloaded into me every single time. And I would leave thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm always getting a little bit closer to my goal of enlightenment, right? And mm-hmm. and this started when I was in middle school. I mean, I wanted to be a witch when I first found out what witchcraft was. And it sounded so innocent and beautiful and like loving the earth and sisterhood and exotic. I was really into costumes and belly dancing and exotic things as I got older and yoga and travel and all these very worldly but spiritually worldly pursuits. And all the men that I was interested in were into yoga, had the dreadlocks, into psychedelics. And um, finally, I met my husband and we fell in love at first sight. And he also had a similar spiritual path to me, to mine. And we got married within a year and a half. And this was 20 years ago that we met in November of um, 2002. And so we've been, you know, doing all the new agey kind of things um, during our whole entire marriage. And then (laughs) in 2020, as is common with a lot of us who um, discovered Christianity around the same time with the pandemic and everything that was going on at all, everything just kind of like all the puzzle pieces fit together for me that it was actually Christianity that was what I was searching for my entire life. But I always avoided it because I always thought that Christians were, um, you know, like weak because they just believed what the Bible told them and they didn't do any actual spiritual pursuit of wisdom. They just were, you know, so easily um, taken in by like what the church says to do. And so I always had a very limited mindset about Christians. And I, I just started reading the Bible. I, I, I remember feeling like I've done all this spiritual work and read all the books and I've done all the rituals and I've listened to the Esther Hicks recordings and did, you know, literally everything. But I was, I didn't feel peace in my heart. I was, I didn't know it then, but I was spiritually sick, very, very spiritually sick. And in my longing for spiritual health, I just somehow the Bible just um, got into my hands and I couldn't stop reading it. And I fell in love and I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And and, and I never would have believed that this would have been my path. But um, to answer your question, how does it fit in with what I do now is that what I discovered is that biblical femininity is a thing, like a real thing. Like we were created a certain way. Men were created a certain way. And Christianity is the path that spells it all out for us. I mean, it's all right there. Um, I am an Orthodox Christian, which is, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it's the most polarized, I would say, of um, any religion I've ever 
even heard of. And that's one of the things that really grabbed me because I had lived for so long without believing in boundaries and discipline and like freedom, right? Like you just, the spiritual life, it's just, you just do whatever you want and everything's okay. And everybody has their own truth and there's no objective truth. So everything's fine. Right. And now to go from that all the way to Orthodox Christianity, which is very much about boundaries and like, this is the path that's been set out by the Holy Spirit for us to know God, to be as Christ-like as we possibly can, and to create families and communities that are as Christ-focused as they possibly can be. So um, the work I do now is I'm a mentor with women who are seeking to cultivate their femininity and um, enrich their love lives. I work with single women and married women, and they all have one thing in common, which is to cultivate and restore the feminine wisdom, the the design that God created for them that has been distorted by the world, um, by cultural conditioning, and um, incorrect belief systems that have taken away that connection with their actual feminine instincts. So I help women to um, restore those instincts and live a life full of joy and beauty and truth and love. And it's the most amazing, amazing thing. If I had, if I had known six years ago what my life would look like now um, and my marriage, I mean, everything has been it's like my eyes were open the healing started. And, and so I'm in a constant process, you know, of getting closer to Christ every day. He's the center of my entire world. I have an axis by which my entire world is oriented now. Whereas when I was in the, the new age, there wasn't any such thing. It was just do whatever you want. Everything's cool. Mm. Everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And I had no respect for boundaries and rules and those kinds of things. Well, now I find out that they're essential. We need, we need structure. We need that masculine frame so that mm-hmm. we can be free and we can be joyful and fully expressive and embodied in our femininity. So that's yeah. my story. <laughs> it feels like so many people are starting to read the Bible right now. And for the past couple of years, my you know, new age to Christian story happened last year. So it's just, I was baptized September 3rd, um, but I started going to church again just a year ago, but it feels like more and more people are being called back, you know, to this path. And I think a lot of people leave the church initially because they don't like the rules. (laughs) You know, they don't like that there are all these guidelines Um, but then when you go into the new age world, and I love that term spiritually sick that you used, um, because I think the freedom and the free for all, no discernment, this was in my experience with it, encourage this encourages an opening for that sickness to come in. And so these guidelines and boundaries and kind of it's more of a narrow path saves us from that, for lack of better words. Yeah, you know? it's for our protection. 
Yeah. It's not oppressive. And like you said, a lot of people leave the church. I was never raised as a Protestant or, I mean, my mom was Christian scientist with her, like from her mother, they went to Mm -hmm. church together. And then I stopped going when I was like six or seven and Christian science is like a whole nother thing. But yeah, the, the idea that church and including um, waiting until marriage. Okay. So in, in orthodoxy, there's no such thing as sleeping around. I mean, you save sex for marriage. And so my older, you know, like the younger version of me would have thought, oh my gosh, that's so unrealistic. That's so oppressive. Those, that's like, who can live by that? But seeing what I've seen now and my whole new community of people who believe in these kinds of protective kinds of ways to live your life i see now that it is the the it saves sex for something so beautiful and so sacred and it's held as something very very special and i believe that that's how we are most likely to stay spiritually healthy mm-hmm. and to respect um the beautiful experience of union um, yeah, but that's just one example, but I don't know why that came to me. But um. no, and that's a big one because I think um, even like biologically or yeah, when we have multiple partners, mm-hmm. we can't pair bond as easily with one person, and so that like deep connection can't mm-hmm. be cultivated when we've had multiple partners. Whereas you know, if it's just you and your beloved, there's that pair bonding takes place. And so there's science behind it as well, you know, but. Right. Including the endorphins because women will experience oxytocin, of course, very easily, but for men, he has to be invested in the relationship to really get that full experience of that release of the hormones. He has to have true heart-centered desire for a woman um, to have that. And yeah, so healthy family. So all these things we're talking about, which is part of my story that I forgot to mention in 2020, why it happened for me in 2020, was it was when I realized and could admit, finally could see that there is evil. There is an enemy. Um, I have no doubt. I mean, Nobody will ever change my mind. There is a force that is trying to destroy everything sacred, everything from children's innocence to what we're talking about here about the sacredness of union with a beloved and everything in between in, in our culture right now. And so the work I'm doing for me, part of my motivation is that I'm fighting a spiritual battle and I'm helping my clients and my audience to fight this battle with communication skills. So that's kind of like my, my area of expertise is in vulnerable communication, teaching women how to move past their fears of rejection and be able to really sit with what they're feeling. If they're feeling anxious, um, sad, hurt, whatever it is to sit with that, be, be totally responsible for that and be able to communicate with her partner about, those feelings in a responsible way rather than in a judgmental way or a way that he's going to feel defensive. He's going to shut down. He's not going to communicate. So 
um, this skill of polarized communication. Of course, I didn't make it up. It's just something that I firmly, firmly believe in. I've seen miracles happen in many, many relationships, including my own. And I feel like this is a very important spiritual weapon for all married people to understand is how to communicate because men and women communicate totally differently. I've read linguistics books. There's been so many studies on this. You'll never convince me that, oh, men and women are pretty much the same. Their brains are pretty much the same and they receive and give information in the same way. They have this, they're motivated by the same things. And no, this is totally not true because God's design is specifically to make us different. And when we can complement each other and harmonize and have interdependence with each other is when the beauty and the love and the connection and the intimacy just, it's just like off the chart. So this is my area that I could talk. You have, you're going to have to rein me in because I can literally talk for hours <laughs> about this. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I love that you brought in that there is an enemy there is evil. I used to actually cringe. I had a lovely woman on my podcast. You probably know her just over a year ago. And when she would say the enemy, I would literally like cringe, like, no, there's no enemy. And it's like, oh my gosh, there or it's is only your unresolved trauma. That's yeah, what it's in the ayahuasca circles. It was always like, like I, I literally had a demon try to take over my body. And when I tried to talk about it with the the shaman or whatever. He's like, okay, so what part of you is trying to be integrated right now? It's like, oh my gosh, this is so dangerous <laughs> to look at it that way. Yeah. It's just your shadow side. You just yeah. need to integrate right. your shadow. It's and it's like shadow. Yeah. 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 And so sorry, I didn't you know, mean to interrupt you. I want to oh, hear no, more. That's about okay. Um, and and so then I experienced evil. Oh, wow. For myself. And I was just like, okay, there is this, this spiritual war going on. Like there's a battlefield here on earth. And like, I don't, from your experience in the new age, was there anything evil? Just, you know, from what I under, what I got from it, it was all like love and light and right. just integrate your trauma, integrate your shadow. Yeah. Um, we're all one we're all the same, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm so glad you brought this up because this is part of my story is that the false light is very beautiful. Lucifer was, or is the, the angel of the earth. He, I mean, the evil angel of the earth and people fall for his ploys. I mean, he can disguise himself in music. That's why there's so much scary stuff in music right now. People don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just music. How can it be spiritually dangerous, right? It's it's like, so to answer your question, no, because every, every path I went on, everything that drew me in was very exotic and beautiful and like beguiling and seductive, you know, and it just felt so good. So there's this idea that if it feels good, it must be okay. Mm. And that's what I... I think that's what kept me so ignorant for so long. Yeah. And then with 2020 and everything that came down with the lockdowns and everything, we won't, we don't have to get into all that, but um, started showing me that 
I, I always knew there were there was like the cabal or like the elites or the Freemasons and all that stuff. I was always curious about that kind of stuff, but I really see it clearly that there is a battle. I mean, it, and including yeah. um, the confusion of the sexes. So thinking that a man can be a woman, vice versa. Um, people are thinking that that's totally possible. And yeah. that, so the reason that that is so important is because I don't know if you've had anybody on your show to talk about transhumanism, but getting the public to accept transgenderism is the first stage to getting everybody to accept transhumanism, which is meant to destroy humanity. So it's like these little steps. And so again, the spiritual battle that I'm fighting is helping women who have, I don't, I don't really like this term masculinize themselves, but like defeminize themselves through experiences and like trauma and breakups and conditioning and all the things. And they're ready to restore the joy and the radiance and the vitality and and um, that's my audience. Those are the people that I'm talking to. I'm not, I'm not telling, I know a, a little boy who thinks he's a girl. I love him. I, my love for him, like, I just adore this kid. So mm. nothing that I say on this topic means that I hate these people or that there's something evil about them, but the agenda that's making this idea normalized that we can just do something externally yeah. or even biologically but that's going to change our sex it's a it's a it's the enemy trying to confuse us and mm -hmm. i know that's mm -hmm. hard for a lot of people to hear but i wouldn't have even believed what i'm saying now like six years ago five years ago but yeah i just see it so clearly one good thing with covid was that it really opened a lot of people's eyes to yeah all of it, like all of the underworkings that are taking place. Like when you speak to music and certain genres being evil, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I know there's all this stuff going on with Taylor Swift oh, right well, now. She's her, you just look, I don't, I, I never really listened to her music and I don't know that much about her, but I've seen clips of her concerts and they're, they're just outright rituals and um, the, the Super Bowl um, halftime shows and all those things, I can see all the symbolism and it's just a giant mass ritual to hypnotize the public. I mean, probably sounds crazy to certain people, but it's so, it's just so, it's just so obvious. So the music, so there's tones that are used intentionally in popular music to hypnotize people and they've, I mean, the, the scientists and researchers that know all about mind control, they came from the SS. We brought them over. You might already know about Project Paperclip. They um, started just creating programming for the entire country and then to the world that would uh, – my husband is super brilliant about this kind of stuff, so he could explain it much better than I can, but <laughs> has to do with the brain, the, the right and left hemispheres and what we bring in through the eyes and how it affects the brain. And it's, it's all intentional. There's no, there's no mm. um, coincidence that this has been going on for so long, but I don't like to dwell on this kind of stuff. Actually, my mm. content doesn't even really talk about this kind of stuff. 
That's why podcasts can be kind of fun because it's like we just kind of <laughs> go left field or curveballs come in yeah. where it's like, hmm, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Where's SS? Oh, the SS, the the army, the German um, oh. Nazi people that were doing experiments on the Jewish people. And then when World War II ended, they just kept doing the experiments and came over to the United States to do them yeah. in different ways and more secretively okay. to figure out how to control the, the masses. With the new age, where do you see kind of the Kabbalah, Freemasons, all of that? Where do you see it leaking into the new age or is it just like such a huge part of it? Um, so I'm not, I'm not an expert on this, but I had a podcast. I had a YouTube channel called a devotional heart. And my very first guest wrote a book about this and he's an Orthodox Christian and he was, um, he raised Jewish and he was a Freemason. And so if anybody wants to watch that interview, it's really, really good. His book is called, um, the Freemasons and their lies. And it's, written for Christians to understand why um, Freemasonry and Christianity are like not uh, congruent. You can't, you can't be both. <laughs> mm. So, um, and his name is Michael Whitcoff. And so I don't, I actually yeah. don't know if I really want to talk about that because um, I'm not an expert in it, but it's definitely part of it because the secret societies have had archetypal kind of symbols and mm. knowledge and, you know, it's magic, it's black magic. And they've mm. had it since probably the time of Schumer and it's just taken different shapes over time. Yeah. But Maybe Christ we'll, is on the throne. Christ is on the throne. So it's true. There's nothing we'll put the can, link for that interview in the show notes. Oh, okay. Yeah, we could do that. And then people could check that out. How has your marriage changed? from when you guys were in the new age to what your marriage looks like now? Oh my gosh, Lisa, that's such a great question. Um, so uh, it just gives me chills too. So uh, there are women who are very, like I said earlier, the word I don't really like masculinized or like depolarized, I guess you could say, when they get into their relationships and, um, and then it causes problems. I was actually like subconsciously depolarized because my husband was, you know, like I said, we fell in love at first sight. He was very attracted to me. He's a very masculine man. He's, he's always been very polarized. And I think when he met me, he thought he, he was like magnetized to my femininity or whatever. But what he wouldn't find out until later was that I had a lot of resistance to masculine leadership. And so this created lots of problems. My father was the most a tyrannical type of father any woman could have. So of course that was going to make me resistant to masculine leadership because I saw it all as the same thing. I didn't know the difference between devotional leadership and tyrannical, like, um, you know, like selfish, oppressive, that kind of leadership. It was all the same. If a man is giving me a directive, that means it's now, now it's on because now we're going to compete for power. <laughs> He's not going to take my power from me, that kind of thing. So there was a lot of subconscious resistance and overt resistance as well 
where we would be competing. Um, he'd think of something, he'd have a great idea. I would shoot it down. We never called each other names. Like we never had a, like a violent relationship or anything. It was just that he didn't get to experience his complete like masculinity with me. Cause I was trying to shut it down by bringing out my masculinity. So now there's these two masculine forces and it was, it got really badly. So I'll tell you, we almost got divorced <laughs> and I'm so glad we didn't. Um, when I think back on that time, it makes me want to cry. It was awful because he felt so disrespected and I didn't know what his needs are. I didn't really care about his needs for respect. I loved him, but it was more about me and, you know, like my power because I was a goddess. I was a new age goddess. So you treat me like a goddess, but um, I wasn't super entitled, but the entitlement was definitely there and it was causing a big problem. So when I became a Christian, now this whole concept of humility comes into play in my life. It ends up being the biggest theme for me of 2020. Because not only did I have to accept and realize that the, the entire 30 years of my spiritual path led me absolutely nowhere, um, you know, I met some nice people and had some fun experiences and went to some fun shows and that kind of stuff. But once I gave my life to Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, it was just like my eyes that veil was lifted. And part of that was, oh my gosh, I, I've got some humble pie to eat because I'm not a goddess and I don't have all the answers and I never will. And the only perfect being in the whole reality is Jesus Christ. And we're fallen. We have things we need to repent for, things we need to atone for, and we need to change our ways, right? So in 2020 was like that big moment, like, oh my gosh, I need to change my ways. But the Lord is so patient, so good. He showed me the path and I didn't have a whole lot of resistance. I um, I just started understanding polarity, but not the new age style, which is about like balancing your masculine and feminine energy and I'm talking about biblical polarity, which is about a woman becoming 100% woman, receptive. Man is 100% masculine, giving, devoted. He's the steward. I mean, the word husband, if you think of like, what is husbandry? It's stewardship. It's excellence. It's, it's all these qualities that my husband had all along that I didn't even really understand or much less felt grateful for, but he's, he's the most giving man. He's so good to me. Once I started recognizing that, and um, I mean, all of our arguments ended, we, we can talk about things without it turning into an argument. We can have different opinions and different viewpoints and we just have fun all the time and it's the respect piece. So I hope that answers your question. Mm. It was mostly learning that men need to be respected. And I've written some posts on Instagram that uh, one of them, in fact, went viral. And it was about what I wish I had known years and years and years ago about my husband and marriage and 
men and masculinity and, and what they're motivated by and what they need. And there are so many women who just could not, I mean, they were so upset by my post because they thought I was saying that women don't need respect to, or I don't, I don't even know. They were, they were turning around Mm -hmm. everything I said based on their own wounds and their own experience. And that it breaks my heart because, you know, they, a lot of them most likely have had negative experiences with non-devotional men. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. But the point of the post was to be encouraging and, and helpful. And so many women messaged me. I mean, my account blew up from this one post because women identified with it so much and they could see themselves in what I was talking about, that they judge their men. They And by judge, I mean, they are constantly making, um, I, they're like telling stories in their head, like he should be more like this, or doesn't he know, he should know by now how to behave and how to do, and they're trying to control their men, right? So femininity and the work that I do with my clients is all about releasing those judgments and paying more attention to the feelings that you're experiencing due to his behavior that you would normally judge as wrong or bad. But being with those feelings, really sitting with those feelings and then being able to communicate from there without the blame and the shame and the judgment. Yeah. Do you have daughters? Do you have any? I don't. No. Mm-mm. I'm just curious because I think back to my 20-year-old self and how I was towards men and there was no respect because I lost respect for my own father for various reasons and like what I would tell her now, you know, what I would tell my 20-year-old self, which also like what I would tell my daughter who's in her early 20s now about men. And so what do you wish that you knew Oh my gosh. I mean, About yeah, men. that's what this post was all about. I wish I knew that men love to give men, lo- men love to give a masculine man loves to give not for what he can get back, but because it's how God created him to give like provision. What is provision? I had no idea what provision was protection. I mean, it's not just generosity. I'm not talking about being a wealthy man and buying a woman a lot of things. That's like the last thing I'm even talking about. It's being generous with his attention, his cherishing, his time and focus. And like when you look into a man's eyes and and he's paying attention to you, like you're the only thing in this world, like met, that makes a man feel so good. And I didn't, I never even really thought about these things that men love to, to, fix things. They love to solve problems. They're always looking for a way to become more excellent at everything they do. And um, my husband, for example, is a chiropractor and he's studied all kinds of other modalities and ways of helping people. And sure, the financial reward is great, but that's not why he does it. It's it's so fulfilling for him. He's always learning something. He's always researching something for one of his patients, like a nutrient or something that they could do more research. Like he could look it up and then say, hey, have you thought about this? And it's, it's like mm. these ways that men just love to um, give of themselves. I mean, if you, if you take things down to the most essential, crude, most crude, um, example of what I'm talking about, it's that the sperm 
is received by the egg. And so everything else comes from that in, in, in uh, relationships. And of course we're, we're giving too, but the way we give is more of like an expression of our love. Whereas theirs is like this deep, like need that makes them feel super masculine. So what I wish I would have told my 20 year old self is like, don't resist a man's provision. And that includes correction. Sometimes that includes, um, you know, we want to, the natural thing for a woman, if I'm talking to someone is like, oh yeah, I want to receive all this stuff. That sounds great. Well, okay. Are you also going to receive his corrections and his other forms of provision? like his directives and things like that, that are given with love. Obviously I'm talking about where the woman's best interest is top of mind for him. He's not doing it to be oppressive or controlling. Um, mm. But that sometimes women will go straight there like, Oh, well that like dominance, that means he's going to control me and tell me what to do. And it's like, not in my, in my relationship because my man is a devotional man and he takes into account my feelings, my needs, my future, my health. And so if he's going to correct me about something, it's for my best good. So if I would have known all this stuff that I'm telling you in the beginning of my marriage, it would have been much easier for both of us. We would have been so much more connected and in love. And I mean, we were fine until we weren't, you know, like suddenly mm -hmm. we realized there was no real magnetism. We were kind of just like tolerating each other. And that's when things were going to look like everything was going to end. And then, um, yeah. And then the Lord mm. came into my life and I started realizing all these things and it's just been yeah. amazing. Hello, loves. Just a quick little interruption from the episode to chat about one of my favorite products that I am an affiliate for. And so as you all know, I have been on quite the healing journey this past year, and there have been a few products that are game changers for me. So part of my health journey has been insomnia and I have been using taking pearl powder from Wild Holistics and I absolutely love Wild Holistics. I love their small batch, cozy feeling company that feels very nourishing and is very supportive and natural. And so I love the pearl powder as well as the liver protector. It is full of so much medicine for the liver, which we all know is under a lot of stress with the, the stressors that we have in our life at this time, and as well as the elevated mind with the saffron. There is so much research and medicine that goes into that is in saffron and its healing effects on the mind as well as eyes. So definitely check out Wild Holistic. There's a link in the show notes for 10% off with discount code LISA. Back to the show. I think one of the big realizations too, um, for everyone, you know, whether you're 20 or 40 or whatever it is, is that men and women are so different because yeah. there is a narrative out there that we're so much the same. Like I literally watched a documentary 
that said how similar men and women are. And it's like, that's like programming. We are not. We are not. No, that's the enemy programming the public right there. That's a perfect yeah. example because we are absolutely not. And there's so much evidence that we're not. We're different yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. So that's yeah. so silly. Oh, I should watch that just so I can um, like do a rebuttal of it or something. I think it was called The Mask We Live In or something. And it's all about men, but it do- it has a literal chart of how similar men are to women. And I think it's like been this, it feeds into this whole narrative that we're equal, right? Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're not equal. And then everybody like gets their back up because it's like, we're equal, but we complement each other. Right. We're, we're not equal the same. in value. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not, but the same. we're very different, very different. So from a biblical lens, um, what does the feminine look like? What does a woman look like? And what does a man look like? And are there any scriptures that you can bring yeah, in? Yeah. So pretty much everything that I base my whole, uh, all my content on is Ephesians 5, 22 through, through 30. And especially in um, Ephesians 5, 25, it talks about how, because, okay, it starts, oh, this is actually part of my story I wanted to share. Um, I was in a telegram group of ladies who were, converting from new age to Christianity. And this was in 2020. And so one of the topics was Ephesians 5.22 about wives submit to your husbands. Well, what does this mean? Submission. Oh my gosh, this this word kind of like freaked us all out, including myself. And so coming to understand that submission, really what it is, is receiving and letting go of resistance to a steward of the family, that yes, there is hierarchy. Hierarchy exists in nature and in all things, but it doesn't mean that the value of the man who's the leader, the head of the family, it doesn't mean he's worth more than anyone else or that he's more important or anything. In fact, what it actually means is his responsibility and stress level and everything is much, much higher because he would need to die for the family if that is what came down. So I reject the idea that wives submit to your husbands is some kind of oppressive idea. It's it's actually how we complement each other. <laughs> mm. So um, and and men love your wives the way Christ loved the church. He, Christ did everything for the church, everything. So men are commanded to also give all of themselves for their wives. And there's so many beautiful um, parts of scripture that talk about, well, there's beautiful. And then there's also like the really important ones, like um, a contentious woman. I I don't, I'm actually like the worst at reciting scripture. I can't even remember my own phone number, but um, Mm -hmm. about contentious women and how it's better to something than be with a contentious woman. It's so true because your peace. Okay. So men, men thrive on peace in the home. And as biblical women, that's part of what we're commanded to do is to provide peace for our men in the home. Is it really that hard? Well, part of that is not arguing with him and trying to shut down his leadership when it's devotional leadership. If there's something he's doing or some decision he's making, you know, this is 
what a lot of people don't understand. I'm not saying be a doormat and just go along with everything he says, but the Bible tells us that, um, in fact, to not sin, you know, our husbands can't lead us to sin. That's not leadership. So um, to answer your question, Proverbs 31, it has a lot of great guidance for women on how to be, how, how a biblical woman behaves in the world. She's warm. She, in fact, she, um, in Proverbs 31, she actually earns money. She's, uh, she can go and work. So this whole idea that traditional women are chained to the stove and they're barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, they're not allowed to work. I mean, that's, it's totally false. I know so many Christian women who, who work if they want to and don't raise their children if that's what works for their family. So there's a lot of, there's a lot more nuance than I thought there was before I became a Christian. There's, um, and in my faith, we have spiritual fathers and priests who we can go to for, for guidance. Um, my priest that I, that was the priest at my church when I first started going, the first time I met him and I told him, that I'm a relationship mentor, femininity mentor. He said, that is so great. We need more of you because 70% of what I do is, is marriage coaching basically. <laughs> so um, I feel so blessed to, to have such a patriarchal based faith where um, men are like, they have to be, um, healthy, dominant in the positive, healthy sense, leaders of their family. I mean, it's it's perfectly clear what the roles are for, for men and women in orthodoxy. And I just absolutely love that. But um, yeah. I hope that answers your question. I think I went off track. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. That's hap- that happens all the time. <laughs> are there any scriptures that come to mind for men? Um, I guess, is it all, not all Proverbs, Psalms. Some one book was all written to men, right? Well, Proverbs. Proverbs has things for both men and women, but um, I would say it's mostly, probably mostly for men about righteousness and um, how to how to move in the world, how to be a man in the world. But it's for both. It's for both. It's in the Old Testament, and. uh, what was I going to say? Um, I don't know. I just, my favorite book in the whole Bible is, well, if I had to pick a favorite, it would be hard, but um, Psalm, the Psalms, hmm. because they bring, oh, I know what I was going to tell you. Um, so what I, something I also really love about reading scripture is how many times we're told to rejoice. And so connected with femininity, like joy and radiance. That's, that's one of the things I help my audience and my clients with the most is Mm. to connect with their joy, connect with their expression and their radiance and the Bible. Some, some people say that joy and like rejoice, the commandment to rejoice comes up 300 times. And in some translations, it comes up 400, 430 times. So that is so beautiful and so encouraging to me and things, you know, these are, like I said, things that I never in my new age years would have thought 
thought I would hear myself saying that, that I feel like I get so emotional reading the Bible sometimes because of just, it's not, these aren't just words in a book. These are, it's like a transmission of, of Mm. Holy spirit that will sink into you. If you let it, if you're receptive to it, you don't resist it. It'll, it'll melt your heart. It'll soften your resistance. It'll bring joy into your life. So if I could, I had one of my clients ask me today, what would you, what would you tell people? Like if, the, if you could just like tell the world one thing, what would it be? And the first thing that came to me was that we're here to glorify our creator. So whatever we can do in this life to bring glory to him, we, we should be waking up so grateful every morning for another chance to repent, to love each other, to spread the word of his eternal life giving grace. Um, And then the second thing just came to me, which is to pick up a Bible and let it, let it infuse you with its beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people are really searching just like you spoke to searching for enlightenment all that time in new age. And I feel like people are realizing that they're not getting it there. And yeah, there's this deep pull to actual truth. When you spoke the words um, that your church is patriarchal and like having the patriarchy, you know, and one of the hashtags like throughout the new age, I used it all the time. I was like, smash the patriarchy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we saw it as oppressive and it's, it's necessary patriarchy is necessary. It's not oppressive if you see it in the way that it was intended. It was intended mm. for our protection. If if yeah. no if there are no boundaries and there's no one protecting us, how, what kind of life are you going to have? So yeah. like I was saying in the early part of the of our talk is that these rules and the structure is actually so important because it's like the glass that lets us, the mm-hmm. water, be able to be free and express ourselves and be contained so that we're not just like blah, everywhere. Yeah, so we kind of really- see that like blah everywhere Yeah, on the planet mm-hmm. right now, just even with the um, transgender stuff, like there's just blurring of the lines everywhere. There's no containment to it. Um, it's kind of just a free for all with that earlier on, we were speaking about this spiritual battle that's coming on and you spoke to like the transhumanism and is, is it fair to say transhumanism is like half human, half robot or what does that look like? Oh, transhumanism. Oh yeah. Maybe I should define it for everybody who doesn't know. The ultimate goal of transhumanism is supposed to be to avoid death. They think that, or this force that wants this to happen. They think they can use technology to get past biology, to use biology and technology to have eternal life. But eternal life is only found in Christ. So it's a satanic, it's an inversion of Mm. truth that, that we can run away from death. And like live on this planet forever? Mm, Or off planet. I'm sure there's people trying to figure out how to live on Mars and other places. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But it's, 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 um, this was part of my journey to Christianity as well. It's, um, it's anti-life. So I started connecting all these dots with parasitism, like spiritual parasitism and anti-life and false light. And all these things were connecting for me that you can choose that. You can go in that direction (laughs) on that trajectory, but it's not the trajectory of eternal life, which is only found in Christ. I remember reading the book Sapiens, and that was like written by a historian. But do you know which book I'm speaking to, mm-hmm. Sapiens? It's like the history of humans, basically. But then I heard the author was part of like the WEF or something, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I read this book years and years ago, but I stopped reading it because it got a little bit depressing. And he he was speaking about like you know, if I wanted a different body, just putting my brain in another body. Oh yeah. And I'm yeah, like, they want to do that. They want to, they want to take consciousness and be able to move it around, put it wherever they want. They, they want to be like God, but, um, I don't think they're going to figure it out, but that's the goal. Well, then I was like, well, where does your soul go? You know, I think they're, not accounting for the soul. No. No. Okay. (laughs) I don't think so. No. So anyway, that sounds terrible. But um, so with this, like, you know, we got this, we have this battle going on and you've spoken to like the work that you're doing, helping fight for the light or the good what can we do as humans? Cause sometimes like, I feel like I'm on this fight, like I'm going against it. I'm doing all these things to, you know, be spiritually sound and my body healthy and all this stuff. But sometimes it feels like, are, is this like, a, are we fighting a losing battle? If that makes sense. And, I, and you're shaking your head. Cause it's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't so, think so. So what I would hope might encourage you is that, so all the programming, like the movies and stories and everything we grew up reading about good versus evil, mm-hmm. it's very dualistic. Mm-hmm. So what I discovered with Christianity is that, and I don't know if the Protestant faith is this way, but in Orthodoxy, there's not good versus evil. There's just good and then without good. I mean, there's Mm. evil, but all evil is, is what doesn't have the good in it. Right. It's without it. It's like antichrist. It means without Christ. It doesn't mean equal in power. And it's just an opposing force. Like here's God and here's Satan and they're equal in value. No, we don't believe in that. So that should be encouraging to everybody because if you're, if your life is on, you know, the axis that your life revolves around is Christ, then you just keep focused on that axis and you, you do the things like, I think I understand what you're saying. Like, does it really matter if we speak out about the WEF or does it really matter if we're eating all organic or like doing all these things? 
But what's I think mo- it matters. Sorry, love. Like I definitely think it all matters, but sometimes it feels like there's so much more of that, you know, being like the WEF. Yeah, it just depends know. on what you're focused on. Mm. So if you're praying and you're going to church and you're around people who are praying and going to church and you're seeing their families and their lives and their love. And I mean, in my faith, we have huge families. They have, there's some of the couples in my church, they come in with five or six children and that's their, that's, they see it as their sanctification. I mean, they're raising children to bring more Christians into the world so that there's more little Christs, more Christ in the world. And, and, um, so that's what they're focused on. They don't, they don't focus on, um, all the, all the other stuff. I mean, they could, they probably know about it just so that they can be aware, but they're let, they're just like too busy having kids and being in love with each other, like me and my husband. And so, yeah, if you focus on it, it can get very depressing. And you think, actually, I went through a period in 2010, 2011, where I started getting so obsessed with all of the all the negative stuff. And it really, really brought me down. And I realized I need to start focusing on something else. So now I just focus on my radiance and my love and helping my clients. And so. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, don't turn on the news and don't pay attention to media and limit social media and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Also where I was going with that is like, Where's somewhere that you feel people can start to go when they are exposed to the truth of new age or the truth of the underworkings of the world? Like what's kind of the first? Like a resource you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is it read the Bible? Yeah, of course. But um, okay. <laughs> uh, the best book, I wish I had it here to show, but I don't. It's downstairs. It's called Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future by Father Seraphim Rose. And he was a New Ager. So he took his rest in the 90s, I think, or like the eight, the late 80s. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly when. But um, he had been kind of like us, like a explorer of consciousness. And he studied with Alan Watts and he wanted to know about Hinduism. And so he studied all these things. And then he became an Orthodox priest eventually and wrote a ton of amazing, I mean, his mind is, was just fascinating and incredible. And so this book, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future, this book has been instrumental in bringing so many new age people into orthodoxy. And it was one of the very first books I read. And I I have, there's no, there's nothing else I can compare it to. It's so good. It just shows the spiritual battle and how and where and how it works in new age thinking and beliefs. Interesting. What was your experience like in India? I was in India as well. And um, yeah, just... Well, I went there to study with a guru who was supposed to be a master healer who was supposed to give you healing powers if you gave him money, right? And um, 
I have a lot of compassion for myself and all the people involved because it was it was a cult basically. I didn't I didn't fall into the cult. I just went there because I my husband and I wanted to see him in person and it was like a 10-day retreat. And we so we didn't really travel. We just basically traveled from Bangalore to the to the um, ashram. So I didn't really get to see much of the country, but when I was there, I pretty much had a psychological attack, like a, like a breakdown. The first night I was there, I didn't know what the heck was happening. I just started crying and I needed to get out of there. I was begging my husband, please, can we leave? I don't know what it is about this place, but I need to get out. It was very scary. I've never had anything so scary happen to me because at least if I was drinking ayahuasca and I had something like that happen, I knew it was caused by the ayahuasca and that it, I, that it was going to be over. But in this, this experience, it was all night and my husband was freaked out. He didn't know what to do with me. Well, in the morning, I was still pretty shaken up, but I was back to my, my normal senses and we decided to stay for the retreat and it just was so disappointing. It was like, Oh my gosh, we came all this way. We we're supposed to learn all these healing techniques and the rituals were pretty or whatever, chanting the names of these gods and things like that. But, um, I never wanted to go back. Let's say that <laughs> when I got home, I said, honey, we're please let's never go back there. <laughs> I'm good. He ended up. This guru ended up drinking himself to death. He he died of liver poisoning from drinking Johnny Walker Black Label, like a oh, bottle wow. per night. A bottle per night. But apparently, that was the rumor. Oh yeah. wow! Oh wow! Interesting. Yeah, I think India was my first um, experience with like. It sounds like maybe there were entities or something involved with your experience. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that me too. And I was oh, really? like, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't realize until after I left. But yeah, it was very interesting. Um, Did you not a good way? Have you shared it in another video that I could watch, or do you want to tell me about it now? Oh, I've never shared it. Um, just things attaching to you as yeah things attaching to you my mom saw it we had to do like crazy clearing on my home i had intense severe anxiety um like sorry yeah so it was and it was yeah in india so my yoga teacher because i went over there to study yoga um and I was going up to Varanasi after we were done our yoga teacher training. He was like, be careful up there. There's a lot of darkness. And I didn't really know what that oh, meant. Oh, yeah, Varanasi, because that's where all the – that's where they – that's where people die and go in the river, right? And like yeah. There's a big leaving of life there. <laughs> a lot yeah. of death. Yeah. And so this – well, multiple things attached. And I had never known that that was like a thing, but now I learned I'm sober. And that's also a big thing when you've drank too much, um, your soul leaving your body essentially and other things 
coming in. And so that experience was like, wow, that's the real deal. Like that, any part of me that didn't believe that was possible before was like, yeah, no, that's possible. Like 100% possible. And I think as Westerners, um, or maybe just, you know, including myself here, I went so open and vulnerable and just so excited to experience this place. Um, you know, when you're just so open and vulnerable and then these attacks happen, you know, and I think that happens there, but that also happens a lot on ayahuasca. Um, you know, my experience with Iowa is pretty mild, but I've heard of horrific ones. And I think that's where a lot of shitty things can happen in new age because you are so like open and vulnerable and just giving yourself over to these, to these spaces. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. I, when I first started, when I realized I wanted to be a Christian, I watched so many new age to Jesus videos on YouTube. And I was always really attracted to the ones of the people that were really involved in psychedelics. And so anybody who's listening right now wants to know about it. I mean, these are true stories. These are not people just making up crazy stories, but they are intense. And then I love the ones where if the person calls the name of Jesus Christ, it made the demons and things disappear. And that's pretty yeah. incredible. It's powerful. Yeah. yeah. And just going back to what you spoke to earlier, like Jesus and God are 1 million times more powerful than any of that. And mm -hmm. so it's like having, yeah, just knowing that and instilling that, walking with that power, I guess is what- He's um, the what creator of the universe. I mean, before I thought the universe was the thing, you know, like that was another piece that really made sense to me. Like, okay, we've been worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Oh my God. That was just like, <laughs> yes. it's so simple. It's so clear to me now, but at the time it's like, okay. So I thought I was a goddess and I thought that the earth and the universe and I were one and we're all mm. just consciousness trying to understand itself and yeah. Yeah. And it's biblical. Like it, it speaks in the Bible, I believe too, like being good stewards of the earth, you know, and, but not worshiping right. the earth. Cause it's like, and for you, like, do you believe in these lower gods like Shiva and no. Kalima? No, no, I not don't. Do you, do you believe they exist? Well, if they are real, then it's just part of the whole um, darkness. It's the false yeah. light. Because I was asked the question, like, do I believe in, like, the Akashic Records? Do I believe in psychics? Do I believe in all this channeling stuff that happens? And I believe that these people don't know what they're channeling. Mm -hmm. And it might be these lower, you know, false lights 
Yeah, that I they're really channeling. think you'll enjoy this book, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future, because he explains that and he explains why it's so important to be vigilant and to to like, oh, the psychic told me all this stuff. How did she know really super personal things about me? Well, question that. Doesn't mean that it's good knowledge. It's like the, the serpent with the fruit. In right. the Garden of Eden, the serpent offered Eve knowledge of good and evil, anything she wanted to know. And that's a very, it's very similar to ayahuasca and the downloads of all the information and yeah. um, same with psychics and stuff like that. I mean, once you let go of all that and you just live your life in faith and trust, and God, it's just so much more simple. <laughs> so it is. Easy. Yeah. I mean, I went through a period of intense turmoil around it. Um, and there were many other things going on, um, like with my hormones and all that kind of stuff. But where I'm going with this is I had all these false anchors in new age, like my astrology and what people would tell me in my Akashic records. And, and so I let all of that go. And then I had like this period of almost like confusion because I was like, I don't have any anchors. Right. And then it's like, and then my anchor became Jesus Christ. Yes. And it's just so simple. It's mm -hmm. like, I don't need to do the next thing and the next thing and the next mm -hmm. thing. It's just, it's just here. You know? Yeah. All those archetypes, like when I was a teenager and I had all these different tarot decks of different goddesses and archetypes and then the horoscope thing is like which sign are you and the the sun sign the rising sign all that kind of stuff it's just it's so distracting and it's it could just keep going forever and ever and why do you need all that you just have christ yeah and yeah <laughs> and you're much more like in the present moment you're yeah. just here yeah how do women anchor into their joy and radiance? I love that question. That's beautiful. So when I first start working with a client, I will have her make a couple of lists for her homework. And one of them is like things that bring her joy or things that um, are really special, that, that are special to her, might not be special to just anybody, but something when she goes on a walk and she sees this particular tree or um, what's a piece like a symphonic piece that just like makes her so excited and so happy. So I, I have women anchor in these pieces of their existence that have contributed to who they are today. I mean, when, I mean, a lot of my clients don't even really, they forget, you know, they forget to think about or appreciate the simple little things that bring joy. So I have them make that list. And then I have them make a list of feminine qualities that are specific to them that they, they feel are expressed and cultivated. And that if she met someone for the first time, that person would really pick up on these aspects of her. And I keep things very general because I don't want to lead them into the answers. Um, and then if they're married, I'll have them make a list of masculine qualities that their husband has that she appreciates in him. And then we'll 
start talking about, okay, well, what are the ways that you complement those qualities in your husband? What are the ways that you activate those qualities for him? And um, they, these are things a lot of the women have never even thought of. They, they have a lot of trouble even making the list of masculine qualities because for so long they haven't even appreciated their husbands. They don't even know, okay, well, what does that mean? Like strength, like he has big muscles or he likes to watch football or he's good at barbecuing. No, we're talking about provision and excellence and his, his cap capabilities and like what excites him. And then how does that feel for you to be with a man who is so capable of those things? And what does that bring out in you? So for the single women, I have a, another way to discuss complementing um, masculinity. And, um, but yeah, those are some ways just to get in your body, get in your feelings, let yourself feel. Like if a feeling comes up, don't try to just suppress it or think that your feelings don't matter. Or, um, I mean, be vigilant and be discerning and as objective as you can be. But barring that, if you're feeling sad, don't think you can just avoid it and that the sadness will go away. Sit with it, give it some love, um, get the nervous system to regulate so that you're not in a anxious flight kind of state. And um, cause that's, that's what being feminine is being taking yourself out of the analytical part of you, the judgment. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this. Oh no. I, I just not this again. I hate going down this rabbit hole. I should be happy. I should be thinking about other things. Well, should, should, should now you're judging yourself and it's compounding the, um, the resistance to feeling your deep feminine radiance and, because our feelings aren't good or bad. They're just, they're like signals for something that are going to lead us into something deeper. And yeah. so. What are the distortions? I think you spoke about, or you named distortions of the feminine earlier. What are those? Yeah. What are the distortions look like? Like the, like the inversions? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of keep women out of their feminine essence Oh, and probably well, put them in their masculine. Oh, yeah. Well, thinking that we have to do everything on our own. It's, a lot of it comes from imprinting from childhood. So for me, for example, because my father was so tyrannical, my mother never got to have that that feeling of safety with him of like, he's got my back and I can trust him and um, I mean, my father would have died for us. I, I believe he had that part of the masculine instinct of like protecting us from other people, but he didn't know how to protect us from himself because he would just, he went on drinking binges and he had a lot of trauma and rage. And so my mom never got to have that feeling of safety. I think she always thought if she could be more lovable, he would change and that would that would eventually happen for her. But when she realized that wasn't going to happen, then they got divorced when I was seven. And so she was a teacher and she pretty much raised me to believe that men are not 
trustworthy. Um, she didn't hate men, but she didn't trust that we could be provided for and taken care of emotionally and supported and cared for and cherished. But fortunately, I didn't allow that programming to destroy me. And um, But a lot of women will see their mothers either be very masculine in the marriage where the mom is controlling the husband, always telling him what to do, and then he's emasculated and he doesn't stand up to her. And so that's the role model that a woman grows up with, thinking that that's how marriages are. And then, of course, the culture, the programming, the, all the movies and everything we see on our screens, the, that's not helping things either. So women grow up thinking they need to take care of themselves. And it is a reality. It's a reality for a lot of women, especially single moms, that they have to be the man and the woman. They have to do both of the, the roles of the providing and the nurturing and and that's really rough. And I have so much compassion for that. And it's something that can totally be um, shifted so that she can still feel that powerful sense of achievement or um, independence, like capability, the capacity to provide for herself and her children. But to know how to access the receptive part as well is the important thing. So I would never say that, oh, a masculinized woman needs to just like flip flop all the way into the other polarity and release all of the independence. It's the hyper independence that is the problem because if she does meet a masculine man, that hyper independence is going to repel him. So she needs to know how to access the soft part, the receptive part, the vulnerable part, the part that doesn't fear rejection too. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons that women put up a wall is they think that, well, I've never been provided for a man has never cherished me. And if I let someone in, he's going to reject me too. And so, um, I forgot your original question. Was about the distortions of the feminine. Yeah. Um, so that's the yeah. distortion that our culture is reinforcing since, mm. you know, since the 50s and the 60s, saying that women needed to get out there and go to work. Otherwise, they're seen as less than than a man yeah. who who goes and gets a job. Yeah. But like I said, Anything. it's a, it's a reality for a lot of women. So I want to be really compassionate. Too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think one of the narratives that I grew up with was like, you can't depend on a man or you can't trust a man. And so I was a single mom. Um, and um, yeah, it was that like hyper independent, fully armored, not letting any men in. Um, yeah. My mom would literally say, don't get married. That was her advice to me. Don't get married. Yeah. Mm. Don't trust a man. Yeah. Is she married now? What'd you say? Is she married now? Oh, my mom passed in 2002. Oh, sorry. But she did remarry and kind of the same, you know, you if you don't heal the reason why you attracted the first guy, it can come back until you do. And and um, yeah. he was a little bit better than my dad, but um, not a provider. 
not a provider. Let's just say that, but she loved him and they were together until she died. So what would you say for the woman that doesn't trust men or thinks, you know, kind of like I'm better off on my own. I don't need a man, but secretly really desires a man. Okay. Yeah. That's a good distinction. Yeah. That's a really good distinction. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if she was my client and she wanted to work through that belief, I mean, basically what it is, is she's creating a belief that she'll either live by or release into something new. So I wouldn't tell her to not believe that belief. I would ask, how is that working out for you to, to believe that? And what would you like to choose instead? And let's talk about that. And the answer Mm -hmm. to that could be a number of different things, but I like to let women know that there's so, there's so much potential. There's so much possibility for them because in this day and age, I know with online dating and being disappointed and, you know, getting her hopes up and then it, it doesn't work out. I understand it can be, it can wear you down. It can be very exhausting to have to keep on looking. And then you suddenly mm-hmm. think, well, there are no good men left that this is what a lot of women have decided. And I see this online and comments on posts over and over that, oh, these men don't exist. There's no such thing as a devotional man. This is not true. This is not mm-hmm. true. If you want that to be true, then okay, I'm not going to try to force you to change your mind, but there are so many good men. There's so many good men. So what I would say to a woman like that is if you believe that there's even one, because really that's all there needs to be is one man for you out there somewhere. What is the kind of woman that this man is going to be magnetized to become her, be her. And Part of that is feminine communication, learning feminine communication, learning mm-hmm. polarized communication, learning how to identify judgments in your in the way that you speak, and then um, decide if you want to share that judgment or you want to share your feeling or your problem or your need instead and ask for help. A big one is asking for help. I, I love helping women learn how to ask for help, not just from men, but just in life ask for help. People love to give. If you're resistant to receiving, even from your girlfriends, receiving a compliment or a gift or like, oh, your dress is so pretty. Oh, I I just grabbed this out of the closet. It's like something I got for $5 at the thrift store. No, that's not, that's not radiant. That's not being generous when someone's being generous with you. So receive that and then go on with your day. You don't have to feel like now you owe that person something. Cause that's something a lot of women that mm-hmm. I work with talk about is that they have so much trouble receiving because they see it as a transaction and that they're going to have to give something back. Otherwise they're not worthy of what that thing was. And so we work on that too. And, and mm-hmm. understanding that it's about giving and receiving, not giving and taking like when you're receiving yeah. something, it doesn't mean you're taking it. It means you're giving that giver an opportunity to do something that feels good to them. Mm. Yeah. So, I think that's important is remembering the joy in giving that it oh, yeah. feels good too. Yeah. 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 I tell yeah. I said, don't you feel 
wonderful when you feel generous and expressive with your love and your gifts. And doesn't it just feel so good? Why would you take that and and toss it on the ground? One of my clients yesterday, she said, years ago, somebody said, why would you take a beautiful glass vase and just throw it on the ground? Well, that's what it feels like when you don't receive somebody's compliment or somebody's help. And she said that really stuck with her. And um, mm. but it's hard because there's the value, you know, the self-value part that is from childhood feeling that we are believing that we don't deserve love or that we got rejected yeah. once. So we're going to get rejected again. And yeah. Yeah. So working through your, that fear is big. Yes. Yeah. It's a big one. What's been your biggest lesson in love? My biggest lesson in love? Mm-hmm. Like in your relationship, oh, the biggest lesson. I think just going back to what I said earlier that my husband is worthy of respect. He has a need for respect. It makes him feel masculine when I have genuine respect for him because it means that I see that he loves me so much. I mean, in our wedding ceremony, um, part of his vows had to do with, he literally was like, my promise to you is that I will hold you like this, like lift you up in life. And so that Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're lifting each other up. I don't remember, of course, he said it much more beautifully than I just did. I just totally botched it. But that was his whole intention in marrying me was to give to me. Mm -hmm. And so why would I take that for granted? (laughs) Why would I try to compete? with him or, or just take him for granted, like not, not be grateful for how his provision fills my life. And that, yes, we would be fine. You know, if something happened to me, he would have to keep on living. And if something happens to him, I will have to keep on living. We are two independent people with independent Mm -hmm. lives. But I guess my biggest lesson in life in love in our marriage was that interdependence is what Mm. marriage is about. It's about being independent people, but interdependent together so that you're Mm. not codependent, you're interdependent. And um, then your marriage can glorify God. It's a sanctified love. And yeah, I think that would be it. Hmm. Beautiful. Is there anything else in your heart that you want to share before we close? Lisa, I want to say thank you again, because um, just having this opportunity to reach even one person who watched Hmm. this, um, you don't know what that means to me. It makes me emotional Hmm. to think about that. If there was even just one woman or man who watched this discussion and it encouraged her or him, it literally means everything to me. It's my whole joy and my whole, like I wake up in the morning and I just get so excited about connecting with people like you and sharing mm-hmm. about the Lord and polarity. And so thank you. So mm, that's really all I want to say. <laughs> I love that. Do you want to let everybody know where they can find you? And if you yes. have any offerings? Um, sure. Thank you. I am on Instagram almost every day posting, making reels, and it's a feminine heart. And there's a dot, it's a dot feminine dot heart. 
And I have a free academy, which I, it's on Instagram. It's a private account that I use kind of like a Facebook group. And so if you're interested in joining that, there's just a quick questionnaire. It's just for women. And um, I vet everybody just to keep it, just so I know who everybody is. And then I, I like to use the questionnaire to create content because I like to know what the women are struggling with and how I can help them. So um, don't, don't just try to like join the account. You need to message me first. And yeah, I have space for one or two more six month committed clients right now. I work um, also, I have another option where it's just voice memo and texting, which I have, I have more uh, availability for that. But if you want to work with me on the calls, because that's where the, the big transformation happens on the weekly calls, um, you can reach out to me and I can tell you more about that. And then I have one ebook so far about feminine communication that's available through the link on my bio in Instagram, which is afeminineheartmentorship.com. And every month I've committed to publishing an ebook per month for the rest of this year, 2024. And then I'm going to take all of those and maybe make a course or write a book with the, the best of those eBooks. And um, they're about 25, 26 pages long and they're $7 each. And um, I think beautiful. that's it. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful. Thank you so much for this conversation, love. And it'll be in the show notes where everybody can reach out to you as well. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.